Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. How about the 270 Winchester in Africa? And what's the difference between ES, SD, BC? What are all these silly little symbols and numbers? And I don't know. Let's see if we can't figure it out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone. Hey, I've gotten a nice letter here from one of my patrons at on Patreon. This is Jeff. He is going to Africa, and he wrote this. Ron, I enjoyed hearing about your elephant hunt, and you have inspired me to use the shock hammer bullets on my upcoming buffalo hunt in Zimbabwe. I've got a question. I'm taking my 270 Winchester as my light rifle on this trip. In previous trips, I've always taken a 300 Winchester Magnum as my light rifle and used 200 grain TSX bullets. I've got a bug to take something different this time, thus the 270 Winchester. I thought I would just shoot factory ammo in my 270 as it would save me a little time working up loads. I bought three boxes of 136 grain Federal Terminal Ascent, and they shoot very well under one inch at 100 yards, and I'm getting 3,039 feet per second on my chronograph versus 3,000 feet per second on the box, so I'm right there. Here's my question. The box says these are for medium games such as deer and antelope. Do you think they will be adequate for zebra and wildebeest? Would you recommend 150 grain TSX or the hammer bullets instead? I can load some extra shock hammers and use my 416 if necessary. I just like to take my 300 WM with 200 grain TSXs like in the past, but my paperwork has already been submitted with the serial number of the 270 Winchester rifle. So what do you suggest? Thanks for your great podcast. I enjoy learning something every time I listen. Jeff. Okay, Jeff. I quickly wrote back to Jeff and said, hey, I wouldn't hesitate to use that 270 Winchester and those Federal bullets. That's a great bullet. Just park it in the right place. We've taken Zebra Wildebeest Kudu with a 7 Rem Mag, or 7 Remington 08, I should say, and 140 grain bullets of various stripes. So you should be good to go. Enjoy your hunt and best of luck. Now, I might just extemporize a bit here. This Federal Terminal Ascent bullet has really been popular lately, and I haven't had a chance to use it on a hunt until just last week. I used it down in Texas on, of all things, a scimitar horned oryx. That is an oryx species with more curved horns than oryx typically have, and it is a real desert animal, and in its native habitat, it has pretty much been wiped out, extirpated. 
But in Texas, it's fairly abundant of all crazy things. And this is what so often happens. Texas ranchers want to try some different exotic and they'll bring an animal in. And then because they are worth a lot, a lot of money, because hunters like to enjoy something different and don't want to travel all the way to Africa, they're able to hunt African animals on some of these big ranches. As a result, essentially, these ranchers have saved from total extinction the scimitar horned oryx. So we went down to hunt on one. Now, the only way that these ranchers will keep these animals around, of course, is that they pay their way. Like any livestock, you're not just going to stock a bunch of exotic animals on your ranch and then let them populate until they're starving to death. You've got to control things. Uh, and there are no lions in Texas, so that's not going to work. <laughs> so they harvest just a few every year. This was a 73,000 low-fenced acre ranch on which the scimitar were just roaming freely. They weren't managed in any way other than controlling the population. So it was a real hunt, um, and we used those federal uh, terminal ascent bullets. And I used one in a 6.5 PRC in a Mossberg rifle, Mossberg Patriot. Um, and let's see, 130 grain bullet. It was going 3,050 feet per second. So that's pretty similar to a 270 with the same bullet. This particular bullet with which I shot my Oryx uh, penetrated the length pretty much of the animal. It was running away and I barked at it and that stopped it and it turned slightly. So I put it sort of behind that last rib. It was actually further back than that. I hit the liver and then the bullet kept going all the way through the lungs and came out between the front legs in the brisket. That is a lot of penetration because this is probably, it looked like about a 350 pound animal. So that's getting up there. So I'm thinking if a 6.5 can do it, a 270 can certainly do it. So that's why I don't hesitate. Plus, as I said in this letter earlier, that 7mm 08 Remington that we've used with 140 grain bullets, I had no problem taking a big blue wildebeest. And that's a pretty beefy animal. And as I recall, Betsy took a zebra with a 308 Winchester uh, over there. So the right bullet in the right place is always the same argument, and it applies to Africa just as well as North America. So I think Jeff is going to do really well with his 270. You don't hear a lot about the 270 in Africa, but it, it certainly has the horsepower and the precision to do the job. So I think Jeff's going to have some great luck over there. And if you want to check out that Terminal Ascent bullet from Federal, I think it is probably their finest bullet ever, and they've got some pretty good bullets in their background. So worth checking out. All right, here is someone asking about BC. He says, if you don't know a bullet's BC, how do you find out what it is? <laughs> and that is a good question. And I sometimes have to hunt around for that. And I will, most of the time, it's going to be on the box of ammo, certainly on the bullet box. Sometimes these ammo companies will load up and not tell you what the BC is. And then you can't really use your calculator to figure out your trajectory curves and whatnot. Um, so you might go to their website and look for it. And if that doesn't work, just do a general search for, let's say, what is the BC of a, and then spell out what the bullet is, or like a Remington or a Winchester or a Browning and the caliber and the weight of the bullet and the name of the bullet, if you've got it, the more information, the better, because someone will probably have already asked this and found out the answer and it'll be on there. So you'll be able to find it that way. 
But look on the box carefully. Sometimes it's pretty small print down in the corner somewhere, and it'll say BC.470 or something like that. That's how you find it. And good question, too, because in the old days, we didn't pay attention to BC if we even knew what it was. But now that we're a little more sophisticated and understand how all of this stuff works and what BC contributes to bullet performance downrange, which is a lot, really keeps your energy up, we do want to pay attention to that. So that's where you'll find it. Now, here's one from uh, Brett. Uh, another great show, Ron. I'm not sure which show you was listening to or watching there, but appreciate that, Brett. I have a quick question. I know ES stands for extreme spread, but what does SD stand for, mate? Keep the great content coming. Thanks. Cheers. And he signs it Yogi, so <laughs> it must be his nickname. Okay. ES is extreme spread. That is the extreme spread in a string of shots that you're taking to help you figure out the consistency of them and stuff. You know, if one bullet goes 2,000 feet per second, the next one goes 2,050, and the next one goes 2,100. You've got an extreme spread between 2,000 and 2,100 of 100 feet per second. You would prefer it be more like 2,000 to 2,050 or 40 at the extreme. And that means you're more consistent in your velocities, and that means you should be more accurate. Just a little indicator. SD, however, has to do with performance on game, sectional density. This was a really big deal back in the old days when pretty much all your bullets were the same. You had a gilding metal jacket, you had a lead core, and they would tend to come apart. But the longer and heavier your bullet, the more potential for better penetration, regardless how much expansion you got or whether or not the bullet came apart. Ideally, you don't want them to come apart on something like an elk or a moose or a bear. You want it to stay together because it will penetrate deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's important. So sectional density, you wanted the number to be higher. I don't know exactly how they factor that number, how they figure it out. But what it amounts to, it's the cross-sectional density of a bullet. And what that means is in a specific caliber and specific weight, it's going to be the same regardless of the shape of the bullet or the material. You could have a 150 grain bullet made out of copper. You could have another one made out of lead. You could have one with a round nose, one with a flat nose, one with a boat tail and a long sleek spire point, and it would make any difference. The SD is going to be the same. And it's just going to give you a rough, a rough idea of its penetration potential. And what really changes the game on SD, of course, is the construction of the bullet. Because typically, an all-copper bullet is going to penetrate farther than a lead-core bullet. Because lead will erode against the muscles and the tissue and lose its weight, and then it reduces its penetration. Whereas the copper bullets generally retain virtually all of their weight, and that means deeper penetration. But if you get, say, a bonded bullet, you're in more chance for better penetration. And if you get, uh, say, a harder lead with some antimony in it instead of soft lead, that means less breaking up, less expansion, and more penetration, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to pay attention to the bullet's construction and materials, as well as the SD. A lot of modern shooters are saying, you really don't need to even bother about the SD number anymore, because you know that the controlled expansion bullets are going to penetrate better than the old bullets. So they're Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations 
and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. There you go. All right, see, we got one more here we can read real quick. This is from X-Troll, and he's referencing the best ammo for short-range deer hunting. Let's see what he has to ask. I have to take an issue with your comment that the 762 by 39 that's that little Russian in the SK uh, rifles and others, uh, that that one is better than the 3030. The only category that the 762 by 39 is better than the 3030 in is having a slightly better BC because of the 3030 needing a round nose or flat tip bullet. Uh, so that gives the uh, 762 a slight edge in energy at 200 yards with a 125 grain bullet. What makes the 3030 better is it's capable of firing heavier bullets that maintain that magical 1,000 foot-pounds of energy out to 200 yards. The only other positive for the 7.62 would be the availability of cheaper military surplus ammo for target practice. Trajectory-wise, with comparable weight bullets, eh, they're similar within about a half inch at 200 yards, which is basically the maximum range of both rounds. Otherwise, the 3030 is generally accepted as being more accurate, a larger selection of ammo, including heavier bullet weights, better sectional density. There we go again with sectional density. <laughs> More co commonly found everywhere, and I'm pretty sure hunting ammo would be less expensive for the 3030 than the 7.62, simply because of the greater supply of hunting ammo for the 3030. With the lighter 3030 rounds, up to even some of the 150 grain rounds, you can ballistically, or you can basically do a dead on hold out to 200 yards when properly sighted in. And I would say that'd be about 150 yard dead on zero. I've owned and hunted with both while still owning a Marlin 336 in 3030, which I occasionally still hunt with. In my experiences, I've never been impressed with the 7.62 by 39. Putting that aside, comparing everything about both cartridges, while the 7.62 wins a couple of categories, overall, I would go with the 3030, and I say it's better. <laughs> well, that was well done there, X-Troll. You did a good job of analyzing it without having a uh, ballistics calculator with which to run these numbers and comparing the uh, ballistic coefficient of each different bullet and your maximum velocities and all the rest of it. The barrel link's going to play a role in that. I think you probably did that, and you found out for your setup just what you wrote here. And... I don't doubt that. Pretty close. I've done a few numbers using sort of an optimum for both and found that the 7.62 by 39 would give you a little better downrange performance because of those higher BC bullets. But I agree, you know, both of them are roughly a 200-yard performance uh, option. And I do like the 3030 just because it's an all-American cartridge. It's got a lot of history, a lot of tradition. And, of course, it comes in those sweet handling lever-action rifles that we love so much. I've just never even hunted with a 7.62 myself. And I've said this many times before. I've just 
never seen a great need for it. And the fact that it's been used militarily against our troops uh, just kind of gives me a sour taste, but can't deny that on its own legs. It's just a chunk of brass. It's a wholesome powder to push a bullet. <laughs> doesn't really matter who invented it or used it for good or ill. So thanks for that information. And I like to see folks like you who are really thinking this stuff through. I always say, don't listen to what I say and then take it for gospel every time because I'm human and can get stuff wrong. I try to get it right, but I make mistakes too. The important thing is to understand what I am uh, discussing and pick pick up some hints on how I determine these things and then apply them yourself. Look at your ballistic charts, shoot your rifles, see if they drop and drift as much as we claim they do based on those ballistic charts. And just because I like one particular round better than another doesn't mean everyone has to, for gosh sakes. <laughs> All right, let's see what they've pulled up for some quickies here. And uh, the team is coming up with some fun stuff here from a Christopher, a Bob, a Kurt, a Kobe, a Mike. Oh, the list goes on and on. Let's start in Arizona with Christopher. I have recently purchased some 6.5 Creedmoor cartridges by Norma. They're 143 grain Bond Strike. It's supposed to be the best for both target and hunting, according to others. It does have a, a 0.629 BC. That's right up there. What do you know about this for hunting? Okay, the bond strike to me says that this bullet is bonded. So you've got a gilding metal jacket and a lead core that is bonded to the jacket. And of course, the idea there is to retain the bullet in one piece, minimize the lead loss and the weight loss so you get deeper penetration. So it's going to have a controlled expansion, penetrate pretty deeply. And I imagine it's like pretty much all of the other bonded bullets. Um, once you've bonded, you've bonded. You've got the two pieces welded together, essentially. And that retains more weight for better penetration. Some may expand a little more than others based on uh, the, the shape of the bullet. Of course, the, the velocity when that bullet lands is going to have a big role to play in it. But basically, you are looking at pretty good option for good penetration on deer elk or anything else you want to try with that 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, Norma makes some really good high quality ammo. I have never had any issues with uh, Norma ammunition. I've used it a fair amount and I've always found it to be really effective stuff. So I think you're going to do just fine with that, Christopher. All right, Bob up in Alaska. Hey, go from Arizona to Alaska, A to A, but boy, there's a whole big difference between the temperatures and the landscapes in those places. Here's what Bob says. In today's world, a new high BC bullet and caliber like anything ending in PRC and the longer, lighter copper bullets. Well, what are your thoughts on rebarreling something like a 30 6 with a faster twist rate and loading some of these new heavy, long, sleek bullets? I know you would lose some velocity, but I wonder if it would help to keep some energy farther down range where they traditionally have fallen off. Really, I am just curious if the benefit of a longer, higher BC and the associated twist rate would outweigh the cons in something like an aught six, and what you might recommend. Bob, um, interesting thoughts. You're not the first one to come up with this or even ask about it. I think we touched on this in a recent podcast. But my recommendation is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You don't need to increase the twist rate of a 30 aught six. It's one in ten. With most brands, there are a few that'll do a 1 in 12, but at 1 in 10, 
the 30-06 is going to stabilize. I'm hearing guys now shooting 230 grain spire point bullets in it and still maintaining some good accuracy. It's always been said that you can go up to about a 220 grain bullet because in the old days, it's about as heavy as they got. That was the official weight of the first 3003 cartridge and the 30-06 when they first made it for the military back in 06. They were still using big, heavy round nose bullets in those days, only beginning to appreciate the value of a sharply tipped higher BC bullet. And that's why the 30-06 went quickly from the 220 down to the 150 as a spire point. Then we got some velocity and some downrange performance. So the 30-06 with its powder supply is pretty much optimized, I think, at 165 grain boat tail spire point bullet. I think that's where you get the best of all worlds. The wind deflection minimized, the drops minimized, so you got longer range and you still retain plenty of energy. It's just optimum for the 30-06. I think if you start going up to the 200, 210, 220 grain bullets and heavier, you're just taxing the powder supply. You just really can't get the velocity you want there. This is why they invented things like the 300 Winchester Magnum <laughs> and the WSM and the 3378 and all the big 300 Magnums. It's not because people are enamored of getting more recoil or having to the macho, I got to shoot farther and harder than the next guy. No, the point is it does what you're wanting your 30-06 to do by putting a heavier, sleeker, higher BC bullet on it. You've got the horsepower in those Magnums. So if you want to play that game, I would say leave your 30-06 alone and just step up to a bigger powder supply behind your bullets. You know, and if you do want to try uh, one of the bigger bullets in the 30-06, I just don't I, I run your numbers on a ballistics calculator, but I don't have a lot of hope for you. It just, it just does seem like it's worth it to me. Besides, what can't you handily take with a 200 grain bullet or even that 165 I talked about with the 30 out 6? It's been proven over and over again to be able to take everything, even with old fashioned bullets. With today's powders and bullets and the additional velocity we're picking up, the, 30 the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. 
Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, six is better than ever. All right, down in Iowa, Kurt writes us about a 7mm 08 Remington. Hey, Ron, I have a 708 I reload for for deer and antelope. The first couple of critters I shot with 140 ballistic tips were rather explosive. Hmm. The critters probably weren't explosive, but I'll bet the 140 grain bullet was, right? So I switched to 150 grain ballistic tip and I got more controlled performance. Neither bullet is bonded. That's true. The nozzle ballistic tips are not a bonded bullet. My question, are certain weights designed from the makers around certain calibers, i.e. the 140 grain for a 708 uh, and as opposed to 150 grain for, say, a 7 rem mag speed? Love your content. All right, Kurt, let's see if I can figure this one out for you. I don't, I mean, hmm. I don't think bullet manufacturers say, hey, let's make a 40, 140 grain bullet just for the 7 millimeter 08. Or they would probably say for that and the 284 Winchester and the 7 by 57 Mauser, because they're all roughly in that same velocity ballpark. Um, and then say, now let's make a 150 for the 7 rem mag. No, instead they say, look, we've got 7 millimeters out there, various ones. People shoot them. And they like to shoot light bullets. They like to shoot heavy bullets. Let's provide a bunch of different bullets for them. It's up to the shooter to determine which bullet is going to work best with his particular cartridge and its end use. So if you have a 708 and you think, well, I want to shoot a moose. Should I use a 140 grain bullet on a moose or would I be better served with a 160 grain bullet? Now the 7mm 08 can shoot a 160 grain bullet just fine. It'll stabilize it, won't push it as fast as the 140, but for a close range shot on a big animal, you're going to get more penetration, have a little more horsepower perhaps out of that bullet. You need to weigh those things. But the bullets, I don't think, are specifically designed for a cartridge, except for in a few cases, like a really slow one, like the 3030. You're not going to be recommending the same 30 caliber bullets, the 0.3008 inch diameter let me rephrase that. The 0.308 inch diameter bullets, which fit all the 30 calibers, you're not going to be recommending the same relatively hard one that you would use in, say, a 300 Win Mag or any of the 300 Magnums in a 3030. You've got to have a lot less energy in that bullet when it reaches your target from a 3030. So you're going to definitely want to build some bullets with softer. Jacket, thinner jackets or softer lead cores or something that will assure you of good expansion at the, the velocities at which the 3030 throws them. But an easier way to see how this works with 3030 is the fact that you don't find long, sharply tipped bullets generally for a 3030 because those are mostly going to be used in the tubular magazine lever action rifles, and you can't have the sharply tipped bullets in there. Now, there's an exception with Hornady these days with their flexible plastic tip bullets. You could call them a rubber tip, but they flex enough that you don't have that danger of the firing pin effect of a sharply tipped, hard tipped bullet behind the primers of the rounds in front of them in a tubular magazine. But still, when they're making these flex tip bullets for a 30-30, they have to pay attention to making them expandable at the impact energies you expect from a 30-30. So there is one example of where they would have a specific bullet for a specific cartridge in mind. Good question, though, Curtis. I like that. 
now I've got my seven millimeter book coming out. I keep talking about it and we're getting closer. We're hoping it's out here in another month or so. So think early November should be available. We'll be putting the information out when it's available and where you can find it. But you're going to find a good bunch of information about this in that book because I cover all the seven millimeter cartridges and you might be shocked to find out just how many there are. I was when I was pulling all of this together. I knew there were some somewhere between 12 and 15 extant cartridges for which ammunition is still made, and then a whole bunch of them that have gone obsolete, and maybe a few that I didn't even know about. And by golly, there were more than I didn't know about. I was really surprised. But that will give you a good idea of which bullets I think are optimal for each cartridge talk a lot about, you know, this particular cartridge works really well with this weight bullet and that sort of thing. So you might want to watch for that. All right, now we're going to go, it looks like, to some six millimeters. So we're stepping down a little bit from seven to six. This is Kobe in New Mexico. He's got a question, six millimeter Remington or 2506 Remington? Gun to your head, pick just one of these to use on everything from prairie dogs to elk. Oh my gosh. Kobe, what are you doing to me? Which one are you picking up and why? Uh, well, I would say neither one is optimal for elk, but both of them can work, have worked, and always will work. Right bullet, right place, of course, but also right distance. With these lighter cartridges, you can't go stretching your distances out. They start to lose energy downrange, and then it becomes a little bit problematic about their performance. So you really need to match up the bullet to the anticipated impact velocity. And then you've got to park it in the right place. So for prairie dogs, the light, fast bullets are what people use. All of that smaller stuff, you want a 22 or even a 17. Six millimeters, 243s are real popular for prairie dog shooting and smaller game like that. And so is it 25-06, but the 25-06 has always been considered sort of the top of the heap for a prairie dog outfit. It's getting pretty heavy, a lot more recoil, and folks really don't like to shoot it extensively, but they like it in the wind. They think it's going to deflect less in the wind, and it's a great deer and pronghorn round. I mean, wow, I think it's optimized for pronghorn. Um, and pretty darn good for whitetail and mule deer. I've taken some nice whitetail with the 25-06, but also with the 6mm. Elk, I haven't used either one on elk. And I think most folks who are real serious elk hunters will have a 7 or a 300 or a 338 or something bigger. But they're not going to be using that for prairie dogs. <laughs> and you asked for kind of the versatile do-it-all cartridge here. So between those two, I'm going to have to go with the 25-06. Might be a little bit much for prairie dogs, but I can load some, gosh, I've got some 85 grain bullets in 25-06 that I can use uh, up to about 100. Those are great for the smallest stuff. And then when I'm tackling an elk, I can step up to some controlled expansion, heavier bullets, 115 grains up to about 120. That's about the twist rates in your 25-06s. That's about all they can handle. Um, but you're going to be a lot better positioned for a good shot on a big elk with a 25-06 than the 6mm. Okay, let's go to South Carolina, where Micah's got some question here. Let's see. Slings. Hey, says, what are your thoughts on slings? What type do you prefer? Also, I'm thinking about a Park West Arms Model 10 
and was wondering what cartridge you would go for in this particular rifle for hunting mainly deer, hogs, and hopefully something like elk in the future? Thanks, Mike. P.S. If you ever need a hunting partner, please give a shout. <laughs> hey, Mike, I need a hunting partner. <laughs> I always need a hunting partner, especially when I shoot an elk and I have to pack it out. And that should be happening here in a few days, so come on over. Now, seriously, um, the Park West Arms Model 10 rifle. Oh, I love that, as most of us. You probably heard me talking about this before. I love that particular rifle. It, to me, is the epitome of the finest falling block single-shot action rifle of its type. It just has a minimal numbers of screws, and, and it's sleek. And ah, obviously, you already know because you're going to order one. And I just got done ordering one. I'm in the same boat. I wanted one mainly for deer and hogs and maybe for elk and some African game. And I thought, man, I want to get a classic because it's a classic African action. And it is a classic old rifle that deserves kind of a, a traditional cartridge. And I thought about a 280 Ackley Improved as a good all-around do-everything. But then I thought, man, if I want to maintain tradition and play on nostalgia a little bit, I ought to go with a 757 Mauser. So that's what I picked. I mean, gosh, you can shoot 120 grain bullets really fast. You can go up to 175 grain bullets the way the old elephant hunters did, Bell specifically. So, yeah, I mean, you might want to go with a little more modern option like a 7mm 08 work just fine. I've got a buddy who has the older version of this rifle, which is the Dakota number 10 or model 10. He got it in a 284 Winchester. Sky's the limit, you know. But the reason I went with the 757 is because of the tradition and its association with that rifle in Africa. Um, just a classic, you know. And I know I'm going to hand load. So if you don't hand load, you might not find the particular bullet you want in it. And that's why some of the new cartridges might be a better option for you. You might want to look into that, but I think you'll do really well. Now, something I was going to do when I asked him to build this for me was get it chambered for the 275 Rigby because that's the actual nomenclature used on the rifle that Bell used in Africa to take his elephants, even though he's using a bold action. Still, that's the nostalgia part of it. But they said to me, are you sure you want to do that, Ron? Because you don't find a lot of ammunition out there head stamped 275 Rigby. And if you go to Africa, the uh, police departments over there, when you import your rifle and ammo, they insist that the head stamp match the barrel stamp for cartridge. So you wouldn't want a barrel that says 275 Rigby. And then the head stamp on your ammo says 757 Mauser. Even though they're the same cartridge, you might have a little bit of problem right there. So it does make a little more sense to go with the 757 Mauser. And that's what I got. And I recommend that one uh, if you're a hand loader. Um, if you're not, you might want to consider a few other options along that line. But I think the seven millimeter is going to do the job for you. You get your bullets light and fast enough for some lighter game, and then you can go all the way up to those big heavy ones that have been proven on everything, including moose and buffalo and elephants and all the rest of them. So that would be my recommendation. But you suit yourself, Mike, and enjoy that beautiful Park West arm. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Model 10, what a rifle. Now we've got another Mike here. This one is from uh, Michigan. Ron, I love all of your content. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. I'd like to suggest a comparison between the venerable 35 Whalen and its little cousin, the 385 Winchester. I think we've got a typo here. I think he means the 358 Winchester. Seems like the stuff good arguments are made of. I recently bought a Whalen in H&R, that'd be a Harrington Richardson, single shot, I assume, and I'm looking forward to getting it into a bear stand. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, that is a great comparison, but it's the same comparison as you could do between the 308 Winchester and the 30 out 6 because the 35 Whalen is the 30 out 6 necked up to take a .358 inch diameter bullet. The 358 is the 308 Winchester necked up to take a same bullet. <laughs> it's just a short cartridge versus the full length cartridge. So you're really only going to see about 100 feet per second difference in the velocities using the same bullets. So I think the way you want to decide on this is whether that little bit of a velocity difference makes a heck of a difference to you. It wouldn't to me. Um, and whether or not you want to use a short action rifle. I used the 358 in a Ruger bolt action down in Texas years ago on a hog hunt and found it just to be an impressive cartridge. I mean, a reasonable, even mild recoil, I would say, and really hit like a hammer. I just liked it, and it would be a great one to try on elk someday, too. So, yeah, either one of them, you're going to do just, just fine with them. Um, let's go to Kyle in Kansas. Hello, Ron. I have seen the error of my ways, and I'm opting for a lower-powered rifle scope. Huh. I carried a heavy Burris 3 to 15 by 44 on a Svelte Model 70 in 30-06 because I feared that I would need that magnification plus the BDC slash illuminated reticle for a long shot. Since owning that scope and killing several Kansas whitetails with it and collecting data on each hunt, I realized that I never went above 6 or 7 magnification even for my very long shots. After listening to you preach on the virtues of a lighter scope, I've come to the altar to repent. <laughs> I'm looking at the Leupold VX Freedom 3 to 9 by 40, the 3HD in 2.5 by 8 by 36, and the 3HD 3.5 to 10 by 40. All three scopes weigh about half what the Burris does and have simple duplex reticles. Do you have a specific one you recommend? And does the HD glass make a difference? Will I miss out on any granularities provided by max magnification of 8, 9, or 10x? Thanks. Not sure what you mean by the granularities here, Kyle, but you're on the right track with your choices. And all of them are great. I've used them all. Although I think that VX Freedom, I had it in a 3 to 9 by 33 on my ultralight rifles for a lot of mountain hunting in Alaska and British Columbia and such. And it worked out just fine. The loophole folks tell me that the durability of all of their scope lines are the same. So you've got that incredible loophole performance and durability in the less expensive models as well as the more pricey models. And I have found that the, the um, 
the VX3 line is just about optimum for, well, lightweight, short, compact scopes that are still incredibly durable and more than bright enough. You don't have to overdo the brightness thing. That's what too many people do with scopes. They think they've got to have something that you could glass the moons on Jupiter with or something. And the, and the power range is there. You're right in the ballpark. I mean, a 3 to 9 can cover everything. And as you found out by taking those Kansas Whitetails at 6 and 7X, you really didn't use the 10. It's nice to have it. I find that that 3 to 10 by 40 is really a nice cover the field. And I don't use 10X all that often either, but it's kind of nice to have it. And really, that scope doesn't weigh but maybe 2 ounces more than the 2.5 to 8 by 36. And I use that a lot. I've got a lot of rifles. In fact, just the other day, I put it on a new Hawa Superlight rifle in 6.5 Creedmoor. That thing weighs 4 pounds, 7 ounces. I put that 2.5 to 8 by 36 on top of it, put three rounds in the magazine, had the thing field ready, and it still came in at six and a half pounds. That is a sweet rifle to carry in the woods. And it shot three-quarter MOA with certain bullets and certain loads. So what a sweet little outfit. I put a suppressor on it. I've got a backcountry five-inch, seven-and-a-half-ounce silencer central suppressor that I screwed on the end of that barrel. So the whole package still comes with a, well, it's 25-inch barrel with the suppressor already on it. 20-inch barrel when I started, picked up a little bit of velocity with the suppressor on there, just 10 feet per second, but that in incredible grouping of a quarter, three quarters of an inch at 100 yards, I mean, wow. So I'm thinking that would make a heck of a fine hunting rifle. It's reminiscent of the ultralights I was using back in the 80s and 90s up in Alaska. So I think I'm going to take that thing uh, to Kansas deer hunting, so I might see you there. But you'll do fine with either of those scopes, any of the three. Um, gosh, go for it. You Just make your own pick on it. You're going to do just fine. The HD glass, not a big deal. HD stands for high definition. And that's essentially controlling the color fringing that you get. When you take a curved surface like a lens and run light through it, of course, the light is bent. And that means it comes out in all the colors of the rainbow. And they have got to correct that downstream here in your scope to get it to be perfectly normal light without a color fringe around like a rainbow around your objects so think of the antlers on deer and if you've got a little purple fringe or a yellow fringe on the outside edge of it it makes it look softer the hd glass corrects that it minimizes the bending of the light so you don't get that color fringing it doesn't really contribute to brightness or anything and you really don't notice it until about 15 power or more. So I wouldn't bother with it on a scope. On a spotting scope, definitely. Those higher magnifications really show the color fringing. And maybe on a binocular, but even on a binocular, it does not really show up all that much. But I've noticed that the HD glass doesn't really increase the price of scopes all that much. So what the hey, if it's in there, it doesn't cost you about a few bucks more, go for it. Why not? Okay, now it's come to my attention. I forgot to say something about that sling. Who asked me about a sling? Well, that's up back to South Carolina, Mike. I forgot to answer your sling thing. I'm not a real nut about all the latest and greatest slings. There's some pretty interesting concepts out there. They're really quick, quick detach, and they stay on your shoulder better than the old style. But I'm sort of stuck in the old mold. Years and years ago, I found this quick change length sling, uh, Q what did they call them, QR or something. But what it is is you pull on part of the sling strap and you can shorten it real quick 
And if you stretch it the other way, you can make it a lot longer. And then I can adjust it to just the right length. So when I run my arm through there and twist it around, I get a hasty sling that helps stabilize my rifle, especially when I'm in a standing or sitting position. And I just got used to using those. I put them on all my rifles. I like to keep them narrow, about an inch, because, I don't know, those big, wide neoprene ones, that they're nice for spreading the weight out on your shoulder. But I generally have fairly light rifles anyway, so I don't really need that feature. And I don't like the big sling swaying underneath my rifle when I raise it up. And then when I try to wrap my arm around it, it doesn't wrap that well because it's so wide. So I stay away from the wide stuff. That's just the way I roll. So I hope that works for you. Hey, that looks like the end of the questions and answers here. So Chris, Bob, Kurt, Kobe, Mike, Mike again, and Kyle, and of course, our patrons. We really appreciate it. Jeff had a good question there. Brett had one. So keep sending those in. If you would like to support Ron Spomer Outdoors, you can join our Patreon community. Just go to patreon.com. And then look for Ron Spomer Outdoors. It'll give you all the directions how you can become a supporting member. We really appreciate that support. It helps us keep the lights on and the films rolling here. And of course, I get right back with answers to the Patreon questions. Unless I'm out hunting. Sometimes I'm gone for a few days chasing something and I don't have email access. So you might have to wait. But generally, I jump on those right away every morning, see what the patrons have to say. And uh, we have interesting conversations and some of them go on and on and on and on. <laughs> but it's great, man. It's like being in a club and we help each other out. So until next time, this is Ron Spomer with Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Appreciate all the attention, guys. We'll see you next time on Honest and Shoot Straight. fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.